So Lord, we pause in this moment just to be present with you. Instead of mind trailing back to all that was yesterday or all that's coming the rest of today, I pray that you show us just how to be present with you just as you are present here with us. And then in this moment that you would calm our anxious hearts as we cast our anxiety on you. That you'd bring your order to our chaotic thoughts. That you would bring your love to our needy hearts. So many of us in here, God, we're in deep need of encouragement right now. And I pray that you would do that. Because we know that whenever your spirit is present, you come to build up strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And so, God, I pray that in this moment that we will just receive from you. There's so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences in this room, but you know all of them. So I pray that you will personally speak to every person in this room. And that you will unify us as a whole community together in you. You are the one we glorify, magnify, exalt above all others. And we love you, Father. Thank you for how you love us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody said, amen. Amen. Just stay in that moment, man. As we move to open up God's word, we're like still, still listening, right? Still opening our hearts to what it is that he wants to say and do. Um, thank you, Michael. <laughs> thank you. Um, before I just jump right into the sermon, though, since we got Veterans Day coming up this Thursday, Thursday's off. Like, I don't know, like, am I supposed to round up to the next Sunday and we talk about it? We pray. And I was like, you know what? Maybe we get both Sundays. <laughs> um, veterans, if you're in here, could you please stand up? If you served in any area of our military, please stand. We'd love to <laughs> recognize you guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. And I just want to pray for them. Can we pray for them together? Um, Lord, we thank you so much um, for these men and women who have chosen uh, to serve our nation uh, in the various uh, branches of our military. God, I pray that this week, um, not just a day, but this whole week will be an encouragement to them specifically. Um, we know we mark out a day out of 365, but when they've given years, uh, some of them careers, uh, to serve this nation. And so I pray, God, that they would know uh, how grateful we are um, and would truly feel encouraged. God, I also want to pray for the, those serving in our military right now. Uh, I pray that you keep them safe. I pray that even in the midst of duty, uh, God, that you place people around them who can encourage them, who can build them up, who can share the reality of Jesus with them, um, that they would know uh, that even in the, in, the, in the pain and the suffering that sometimes that job comes with, God, that they are never, ever alone. I pray for those, God, who have come back um, from tours and ha- do not just bear the physical scars, but the mental, emotional scars, Uh, perhaps PTSD or other just just, uh, struggles that they bring back to their lives. 
um, here. God, I pray uh, for their healing. I pray that you um, will place a hand on their minds and on their hearts. God, that they would find safe places where they can express and work through the pain that they they are experiencing. Because you're healing God. That's who you are. And so I pray that you will meet them in a very real way. And I pray for just the veterans' services across this nation. Um, God, that they would get better. Um, And that that you show us how, um, as a nation, to better care for uh, the veterans who have served this nation. So God, as we remember them, may they feel honored. May they feel, may they feel like um, they truly are appreciated, um, not just by us, but by you. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump right in here. Um, we've spent six weeks, believe it or not, on the Holy Spirit uh, in this series called Filled with God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if we've conveyed anything um, over these past six weeks, I hope that we've conveyed what a gift the Holy Spirit is to us. Right? The, 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 this is our, the Spirit of God who dwells within those who believe. He is the Spirit of truth who reminds us in the midst of a confusing world what is true and what is not. He's the Spirit who transforms our character to become like Jesus. He's the Spirit who equips us with gifts that we are, abilities that we have so that we can build up and encourage each other in the church. You know, the, the, and so we're going to spend, um, not just this week, but next week. Uh, so it's just two more weeks left in this series. But if anything, we've seen what a gift this the Spirit truly is. And we will not bypass or miss that. And last week we talked about how he's also a gift in the sense that the Spirit empowers us to share the message of Jesus with those who do not know him. Um, and, and I don't want to just breeze past last week because I feel like, man, there's still so many questions. And the truth is, every single one of these messages could be a series in and of themselves. Um, and that's the hardest part is figuring out what I can say in 30 minutes um, that, that comes out of Scripture. But I know the question comes up anytime you talk about the Spirit's power equipping us, the question always comes up, well, does that mean that the Spirit still empowers the church to do miracles? Or some people call them signs and wonders today. You know, Jesus healed people. He cast out demons. He rose people from the dead. And we read the book of Acts. It wasn't just him, right? It was the apostles, the 12 apostles, and from the apostles to the next generation, and then the next generation of, of Silas and Barnabas and, and Stephen and so many followers of Christ lived with a supernatural ability to, to, to heal others and to do these signs and wonders. And the question becomes, well, is that stuff meant to happen in the church today too? I mean, if we have the same spirit dwelling within us that they did, we don't have like, I don't know, like a cheaper version, right? We have the same spirit. Is that meant to be a reality in the church today too? You know, um, it wasn't too long ago that I had this conversation. Uh, we'll call the guy Max. And Max uh, grew up without any church background, much like a lot of people in our geographical area. No, no church, no faith, nothing. But he, he had grown curious about Jesus, Christianity, and other religions. And he and I, this roundabout way, got into a conversation. And though he was curious, he was unconvinced that any of this was true. And so what did I do? Crack my knuckles. I'm like, 
I'm going to show this guy the best historical intellectual proof I can for why Jesus is real. And I'm going to start with the resurrection. I'm going to prove to him that it's true. And I came out and I'm like, listen, Max, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then why would all his disciples either become martyred or exiled defending the claim that he did and they were firsthand witnesses of it? Why, Max? I don't care about it. I wouldn't die for a lie, would you? I was crushing it. Or at least I thought I was. Because <laughs> I looked over at him and his facial expression was... He was unmoved. He didn't care anything about my intellectual proofs. And I was, I was getting a little bit frustrated, if I was honest. Because I was like, man, I thought that was a slam dunk. But I said, all right, Max, and what would convince you this is true? I'm paraphrasing. But he said, if, I don't know, if I just had an experience where God showed up to me in a way that was powerful and I could not deny, he said, I think then I would believe. And I was speechless, right? Because I realized he didn't want my intellectual proofs. What he wanted was to know if God really still changes lives today. If God is not just, if, if it's not only if it's true, but, but does God actually change lives? Does he actually transform people, set them free? And I realized that Max isn't the only guy out there asking these questions, is he? There's many in our area asking, not just is this true, but is, like, does this, does God truly change lives? Is his power active and working today? And I realized after I was listening to his questions, I asked the same ones, don't you? And oftentimes these are personal. It's not just does God heal, but will God heal my friend who has stage four cancer? It's not just does he set free, but will God set me free from addiction? So we realize this is more than just an intellectual pursuit, but this is a personal question. Does God really want to move in power through his spirit in ways that can only be him through signs, wonders, miracles? Does he still heal today? Is is it just for Paul, Peter, and the rest in the New Testament? Or does God still want to do that today? And if he does, then why don't we see more of it? Those are really the questions that I find myself wrestling with. And that led me, as we're prepping for the series To this place uh, where Jesus, the night before he was crucified in John 14, made a very curious statement. And he said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What does he mean by whoever believes? And even more, like, what does he mean by greater things? And And if we're going to do the works he did, then what were the works Jesus did? (laughs) And then what does it look like for us to to live out what Jesus is saying right here? And and, and should we include miracles, signs, and wonders like within the works that Jesus calls us to do? Well, let's dig in a little bit, all right? Listen, I know that the thing we're talking about right now, for some, it hits everybody in different ways today. You know, I don't need you to be convinced right out. I am going to make a case today that, that 
God still wants to move through his church in miraculous supernatural ways. All right, I, I, like, we're, we're going we're gonna to explain that. We're going to talk about that. I don't need you to be convinced of that right now, but we are going to, I'm asking you to look at God's word honestly with me. Can you do that? All right, let's open up John 14, verse 8. That is where we're going to be. This is page 875 of the Blue Peabach Bibles, if you want to open there. And I'm going to come back to this several times today, uh, so it might be helpful if you had it right in front of you. Um, John 14, verse 8. I'm going to read it and then lead us in prayer. First, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Just bow your heads. I just want to lead us in prayer for a second. Father, you know that I am a person in process like all of us here. And I need you to be the one leading our study of your word. And so I submit myself to you. Whatever you want to say, may, may you say it. And God, I know that no one needs to hear me today. They need to hear you. And so will you allow us to hear your word, but not just be hearers of it, but to, to by faith practice what your word says by the power of your spirit who dwells within us. So teach us, lead us, open our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. 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 I got a lot to say, so I'm going to be booking it a little bit today. All right? So I, I apologize if I'm, I'm a little speedy at times. Um, but I'm still, I, I want to do it in a way that, that, that we, we travel together on this. But remember, if, if the same Spirit who dwells in Jesus and the apostles and all those we read about in the New Testament dwells within us, again, should we expect His power to be available to us to also perform signs, wonders, miracles as He did? I mean, after all, we just read chapter 14, verse 12, that whoever believes will do the works that Jesus was doing. Well, before we can understand the works we do, let's first ask, what is the works that Jesus did? I'm sure many of you could come up with specific examples of miracles he performed. But my question is more like, what is the big picture work of what Jesus did while he was alive among, uh, in Galilee and and Judea, Jerusalem, that area? How can we describe his work as a whole? Well, let's start here. United with the Father, Jesus both proclaimed and demonstrated the reality of God and the good news of his salvation. So the night before Jesus was crucified, he told his disciples, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be gone soon. And as we can imagine, these guys have been following him everywhere. That makes them nervous. So Philip says, uh, okay, well, i got to wrap my mind around this. Can, can you at least show me that God is in this? Can, 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 you, can, can God, I don't know, can you make God show up visibly, powerfully for us right now so I can be assured 
that, that he's got us through this? Have you ever prayed, God, will you just give me a sign? <laughs> Philip too. But Jesus used Philip's statement as a gentle teaching moment. And he said, don't you get it, Phil? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1.3 confirms this. It just says it's the same thing in different words. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Jesus is saying, Phil, you want a sign, but you realize I am the sign. And all that I do, the works that I do, are the sign. Therefore, the works Jesus did was the natural overflow of his union with God. I'm going someplace with this, so please lean in here. Because Jesus explained that he is in the Father, the Father's in him. So it was his bond with the Father that enabled him to do the Father's works. Fueling and sustaining everything Jesus did was a relationship of perfect harmony and an inseparable bond of pure love and unity between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And it's because of Jesus' love for the Father that he never wanted to work independently, but only under his Father's authority. So he says here, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. He says, I don't reluctantly submit. I welcome the Father's authority over me. Which just means that Jesus never sought to use the words of God or the power of God to run off and build his own brand, start his own thing, for his highest joy was being united with the Father. Now why is this so crucial to understand? Because likewise, we cannot talk about doing what Jesus did, miracles or otherwise, unless we first have a relationship of love with him and we're submitted to his authority over us. I'm going to say that again. All right? <laughs> we cannot even talk about miracles or any of that unless we have a relationship of love with him and we're submitted to his authority, his lordship over us. Because before we can see the works of Jesus, the power of the Spirit manifest among us, we got to honestly ask, do I seek miracles because I'm seeking God? Or do I seek them because I just want to get something from God? Are miracles what I seek? Or is God the one I seek? You want to know the difference between the so-called faith healers for profit and Jesus? And anytime we talk about miracles and signs and wonders, like one of the first things that come up are the televangelists going out there, right? And like, we're like, that seems shady. Like, those faith healers for profit, they're about using the things of God ultimately for their benefit. God is a means to their own end. But for Jesus, he did all he did out of love for the Father. The Father was the end. And that's not just faith healers for profit, though, is it? Let's be honest. We can criticize them all day because they're on our TVs. But it's in within every human heart that we were born with the nature of sin. And it is the heart of sin that wants to make everything ultimately about us. <laughs> and so the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we seeking God for what we can get from him? We're the end. Or are we seeking him? 
when, God, when submitting to God's leadership, lordship over our lives conflicts with our own desires, what do we do then? Well, what Jesus did every time was submit to the Father, even when it cost him. Because the Father's love consumed him. And even though we were the ones who had not submitted to our God's, our Creator's authority, and our hearts were cold to his love, Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Not after we figured it all out and came to God, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That consumed by holy love, Christ gave himself on a Roman cross, took the weight of our sin upon himself, and then he took that sin to the grave, and then on the third day rose again to make a way, abolishing the barrier between us and God, making a way that we too can have, be forgiven, be declared right with God, and have a relationship of love with him too, and that his own spirit might dwell within us. Guys, this is the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the marvelous transformation that he made possible in Christ and brings about within us by the power of his spirit. So before we talk about the miracles, the works of Jesus, have you received and believed that truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? Not earned it, but have you received it? Have you believed it? Do you know him? Because after all, the miracles Jesus performed were actually visible demonstrations of the gospel reality. Jesus' ministry in Galilee in the first century wasn't just preaching, it wasn't just miracles, but it was the powerful twofold combination of both. Right? Nearly everywhere he went, he taught the reality of God with amazing clarity and authority as he opened up scriptures. But he wasn't just a preacher. Right? He also healed the sick, cast out demons, raised the dead to life. Why? Because he wasn't just going to proclaim the gospel, he was also going to demonstrate its reality. Why do we call them signs and wonders? Because these miracles were meant to be signposts pointing to the reality of what Jesus has done. So when he healed the man who was born blind, it was a physical demonstration of what he's done spiritually for us. Opening the eyes of our heart. When he cast out the demons, it was a physical demonstration of that God's power is greater than sin, death, and evil. Officially proven in his resurrection. And when he raised the girl from the dead, he came to show physically what he came to do in all of us spiritually. Therefore, Jesus told Philip and the other disciples, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence or signs of the works themselves. So if we desire to see God do miracles and works among us, we do have to ask first, though, what is our greater desire? Is our greater desire simply that God would do cool tricks, right? That he would do some cool things in this life? Or is our greater desire that we see people across our area come to a relationship with Jesus by his grace through faith and be transformed by it? 
Because even Jesus, he went around and healed people in his day. But guess what? They're not still alive, at least that we know. They got sick again, most likely, and they died physically. The greatest hope we have is that people would come and receive the gift of Jesus and have eternal life with him. So my greatest desire, I want this to be a place where we have the kind of faith where we can pray for people and trust that God's power is at work to heal and to do amazing things that only he can do. I pray that for this church, but my greater desire is, not, is that that would be a means by which God opens people's hearts to who he is. They would receive that gift and they would live forever with him. Right? I just need us to put this in perspective. Right? Like, where, where, what is ultimately most important here? But if we go back to John 14, again, Jesus isn't done explaining what it means and what, what, for those who believe in him, the reality of their lives. Because for him, he knows that we are to be united with him, submitted to his lordship over our lives, but he says, but there's more. For all who believe in him, Jesus has not only shared his authority with us, but also his power to do what he did. So he continues in, in John uh, chapter 14, verse 12, and he starts with, Very truly I tell you. And that, that, that phrase, Jesus loves to use that phrase, it's a distinctly Jesus phrase, which means no matter what you've heard, no matter what you think, no matter what you came in here with, what I'm about to tell you is true, so listen up. All right? So lean in here. And he says, very truly, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Wait, what? <laughs> okay. So for those who believe, like I, I'm, I'm cool with like I can go do may, maybe some of the preaching, teaching kind of stuff. Like I can, I can see that happening. But healing people, cat, like, Raising people from the dead. I, mm, are you, is he for real? Is he for real here? But first, what I want us to recognize, it, it, it wasn't unusual for Jesus to share the authority to do these things with people. First off, if you were a Jewish rabbi in the day, like, th that's what you did. right? Like, you got disciples or apprentices and you taught them to do what you did. And Jesus did that with his 12 disciples, Matthew chapter 10. He gave them, he, he commissioned them, gave them the authority that says to drive out demonic spirits and heal every disease, like Jesus did. And then in Luke 10, we realize it wasn't just the 12, but he, he also sent out 72 of his followers to, number one, proclaim him, and two, heal the sick. Proclamation, demonstration, what he did. But Jesus took it a step further than the rabbis of his day. And that he didn't just share his authority, but also his power. And so when he told his followers in the statement, he says, you will do even greater things because I am going to the Father. Now, what is implied in that statement, because I am going to the Father? If Jesus goes to the Father, what does he say will happen next? He sends his Spirit. In the same context, same chapter, verse 26, he says, I'm going to send the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And if you remember last week, as Jesus was about to ascend to heaven after he had risen from the dead, he says, you will receive power when my spirit comes upon you. That the same power 
that filled and empowered Jesus and the, the apostles, the disciples, fills every one of us who believe. But here's the thing. If we're going to do what Jesus did, we not only need his authority, but we also need his power to do it. One of, my, one of the things I would love to do one day, I'm not sure if this ever happened, I would love to learn how to play cello. I just, I think a cello is like butter, man. It's like, you know, like it's, oh, so rich. One of the ways, you want to calm me down, turn on cello music, you know. And I've always wanted to learn how to play. Um, but if you gave me today the authority to go play for the Boston Phil, Philharmonic Orchestra, but you did not give me the ability or the power to play the cello, it's going to be a disaster, Right? Absolute disaster. But if you gave me the ability or the power to play, but you never actually authorized me to play for the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra or anywhere else, it doesn't matter what power I have. I'm not making any difference with it. But Jesus has not only authorized us to represent him, but he's also given us the power. But this also gets at why some of us have a hard time believing this, because we may accept that the Spirit has, get, has lived within us, but we don't believe that we have God's authority to represent him wherever we live and go. Many of us say, well, who am I? Who am I to pray over so-and-so? Who, and why would God want to use me in that way? And if we're not careful... We allow who we say we are or who others say we are or our jobs or our roles or our backgrounds, anything else, to judge how God can use us instead of going to the Father to say who we are. Because the Father has lavished such love on us that he would call you sons and daughters of God. And not only that, 2 Corinthians 5.20 it says, for those who have been reconciled to Christ by faith, that is brought back into relationship with God, that they are called Christ's ambassadors. You have heaven's authority in this world. I mean, I, maybe you need to go home and soak on that a bit. But like, like, what? Seriously, what? God, authority given to those who follow Christ. But others of us have a hard time believing, maybe you have a better time believing that you're a child of God. God loves you, you know who you are, but you only trust or have faith for what you can do in your own power. In other words, we only believe that God can use us as far as it depends on us. This is... uh, one of the things I've noticed, and I put myself in this camp, okay, that the church in America, man, we are so good at preaching, teaching, writing, programming, because a lot of that we can do in our own strength, or we can at least imagine how it's possible. And it's good stuff, right? It's good stuff. But we also have a nation and a society that is aching to know, is God real? Those like Max who are saying, like, do you actually step out on a limb and trust for only what God can do? Do we actually see the demonstration of God's power? Is he really at work among us? 
So as followers of, of Christ, man, we are kids of the king. We are heaven's ambassadors. We've been given his authority. But we also have been given the very same power of the spirit that Jesus had so that his gospel might only be proclaimed in his power but demonstrated in gospel signs and wonders to the world. And I believe the spirit wants to do the works of Jesus through us today. But the greater things here that Jesus talks about, what does that mean? I, that does not mean that whatever Jesus did, we get to try to one-up him on like wow factor, right? That doesn't mean that, well, he raised one person, I'm going to raise ten, right? That's not what we're saying. But the greater things is, see, Jesus' ministry was limited to Galilee, Jerusalem, Judea. That's what, that's what God had for him. But he's speaking to his church, both present and future, still today saying, listen, you have even greater things ahead of you because what you are going to do through the proclamation and demonstration of my gospel is not just going to be in Israel, but it's going to go to all the nations and to the ends of the earth. It's going to go to your neighborhood. It's going to go to your workplace. It's going to go to your family. It's going to go to those who live and work around you. You're going to see that happen. And we have. In the last 2,000 years, we've seen the way that God has moved in powerful ways that could only be him. But as we get that fresh vision of faith as a church, as we realize that we, we are grounded in our authority as children of God, and all this is made possible by the power of his spirit within us, what does Jesus now encourage us, encourage us to do with all that? He goes on, that when we're under his authority and equipped with his power, Jesus encourages us to ask for anything, and he will do it. Verse 13, he said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Say, in my name. name. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name. There it is again. And I will do it. What Jesus is not saying is, I don't know, man. If you pray and I'm available, it's not too inconvenient. I'll think about it. (laughs) You know, the opposite. He says, please, I'm encouraging you. I'm inviting you. Ask me. Ask me. But the key phrase to understanding this, though, is that phrase, in my name. But what that does not mean is that whenever we pray a prayer, as long as we say, in Jesus' name, at the end, that it's the magical words that just get it done. Right? It's, but what, he's, what in my name means is that when you pray in line with who Christ is, and, and when we are standing for what he stands for, and, and Jesus explains further, whatever brings glory to the Father, he says, I will do that. And within this last year, it got to a point where I was, I was burdened because I wanted to share my faith with more people um, than I had been. Those who don't know Jesus, I, I was like, God, I, I just... I asked God, can you give me opportunities to share Christ with others? And you know how you pray these prayers and then you go about your day and you kind of forget about it? Well, one day I had a graveside service uh, for a family. And I got to the grave early because I wanted to make sure I knew where I was going. And I get, to the, I get there early and I, I find where it is. And I see this woman standing right beside where the graveside service would be. And so I rolled on my window and I said, hey, are you here um, for the graveside service? She says, no, 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 I'm, I'm not related to that. I'm, I'm here for this grave. Okay. Went and parked my car and 
because I was still waiting for the family, I went up and I just said, hey, you know, asked her about her life, who she was, and came to learn that she was there. The grave was for her son, who had died in a tragic accident about nine months before that. And as I started asking her questions, I realized that part of what expounded the grief for her was that since her son died, she hadn't had any relationship with her granddaughter, which was his daughter. Just nothing to do with her. And she wanted it. And that was the moment that all of a sudden it dawned on me that God was answering my prayer. You know, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm a little dense at times. But when it dawned on me, I was like, oh, okay, God, what do I do? I said, uh, can, can I pray for you? She said, yes. And so I prayed not only that God would comfort her, but also prayed. I said, God, will you please restore this relationship with her granddaughter? Well, the family then showed up, and we had the graveside service, went home. Two days later, though, I get a call um, from one of the family members for whom I did the graveside service for, right? So unrelated to the grieving mother, I get a call from a member of that family. And she said that the day after the graveside, she went to the grave and saw and met the same grieving woman that I met. And that same grieving woman told uh, the family that I was there to serve. She said, shortly after we prayed that prayer, my granddaughter called me. I was like, that is only the power of God. But see, what was amazing about that was that that instance, it was a gospel sign. Because what I pray in that moment wasn't just that she's reconciled to her granddaughter, but that she also sees that God's answering that prayer as a sign that he wants a relationship with her too. And this is what God desires to do. And all I did was pray for opportunities because I was a little frustrated and then woke up to the reality of it when it was in front of me. The, spirit of the, the power of the Spirit did the rest. Did the rest. See, Jesus has authorized us as his followers to both proclaim and demonstrate the reality of his gospel but through the power of his Spirit. But as I say all of this, I can't help but think of those who have prayed hard for miracles, signs, healings, with all the humble and sincere faith you can muster, but God did not answer your prayers as you hoped he would. I think about today, my heart is heavy, because our own Don Fawcett, who's the head of our ushers here, we've been praying for his sister Dottie for a while, who had pancreatic cancer. And I found out late last night that she'd passed away. And sometimes you get those situations like, well, why, God? She was 62 years old. Why? And the truth is, I don't always know why. When we pray and we ask God and we say in Jesus' name, we've got all the faith we know to muster, why? The Apostle Paul was a man who saw God do amazing things through him. Acts 20 tells a story of a guy who fell asleep in a window because Paul was preaching too long. Some of you are like, I get that. I relate. <laughs> fell asleep in a window, fell out, died. Paul comes, prays over him, and he comes back to life. If you can pray and somebody comes back to life, then surely God will answer whatever prayer you pray, right? Well, 
God does answer, but it's not always in the way we want. And then in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had a thorn in the flesh that had been tormenting him. He prayed three times that God would take it away. And God's answer was, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. See, the temptation for us is when God answers, sometimes God answers yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's not yet. But when God doesn't answer the ways that we hope or truly desire, and we're praying with all the faith we know, sometimes that can cause us to stop praying altogether. Stop trusting, maybe still believing in God, but not believing God wants to work in our lives. But just as a, a miracle is a sign of the gospel, it is in those moments that we look back to the gospel. And we, remember, we realize that if God did not spare his own son, how much more must he graciously give us all things? And we realize that even Jesus sat in the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed that, God, if there's any way, could you take this cup of suffering from me? And God's answer to him was no. Because it was through him that he would bring about the salvation of the world, yours and mine. But even in the darkness and even in the grief of that grave, from there came the roar of resurrection life that, that opened up the way of life for all of us. You see that even when his answer is no or it's not yet, please don't stop seeking, don't stop praying, don't stop believing. Because we are promised that no matter what happens in this life, it is temporal, it is short, and it is, is confusing at times. But no matter what happens in this life, all those who believe in Christ will be resurrected one day. And we realize that any sign or healing or miracle we see is simply a foretaste of all that is to come. Jesus has authorized us as his followers to both proclaim and demonstrate the reality of his gospel with the power of his spirit. So as a church, we're about to take communion. But before we do, I just want to give us a moment of silence. We can allow God to speak to you, speak to your heart and mind. If there's something you need to confess, confess, but so that we can come to this table and take it with a sincere heart. But I'm going to pray and then just give us a moment of silence. So God, you know where every one of us is in this journey of faith. We're all learning in our own ways to trust you. And not just trust you, but to live into the purposes you have for us. And Lord, I pray that as we come to celebrate yet again what you have done for us in Jesus, that we may come with sincere heart. That if there's any, any, any bitterness towards somebody, any sin that we're holding on to outside of your authority, if there's anything that we're doing, may we confess those things now so that we can be ready to receive all that you have for us. Let's take a moment of silence now.